So welcome to uh, Insights at Arifect 2022. Um, we're going to be traveling deep into the industry, minds of industry experts uh, to, to gain a perspective uh, on some of the big challenges uh, and opportunities uh, facing the energy sector. Uh, I'm your host, Brian Chammers, uh, President of Growth and Development uh, for Woods Operations Business. So in this episode, um, we're going to discuss the role that operation, uh, operational efficiency plays in energy security. Um, we're going to look at how using data and data-driven technology to drive efficiency into operations and maintenance could be a key solution to unlocking the energy solutions challenge. So we're going to look at three topics. Uh, we're going to look at the first topic is what is the role that technology uh, is playing in maximizing the potential uh, for existing operational assets to ensure energy security. Then we're going to look at how technology can help us drive uh, efficiencies in cost and site capacity. And then the third topic is, how do we guarantee that operational efficiency is considered early on and not an afterthought that we often see? Um, so I'm joined today uh, by two uh, industry experts, uh, Dan Rigby, uh, our Vice President of Business Development for Woods Consulting Business. Um, Dan's focused on ensuring energy sectors are future ready, um, combining Woods expertise in asset readiness, asset optimization, uh, and repurposing uh, facilities. Uh, and also joined by Gavin Maxwell, uh, Vice President of Asset Performance Optimization. Uh, Gavin's uh, lots of experience in the Middle East, so you know, working with uh, a number of major oil and gas producers. So great to have you guys here today to talk about this. So in today's geopolitical backdrop, energy security is a very real issue. Um, the, the simple economics of supply and demand have sent commodity prices soaring. Um, and absolutely, you know, we need to make sure that current hydrocarbon assets are producing as efficiently as they possibly can with having the, the uh, minimal carbon uh, footprint. So what do you think uh, the technology, the role that the technology is playing today in improving efficiency and extending uh, the life of these assets to ensure energy security? Yeah, well, I, you know, breaking down the question, the first thing that that I look at is a focus on is the words energy security. So it can feel like quite a broad topic to people. So people might be thinking energy security, how, how could you do anything to influence or alter or, or, or you know something in relation to such a broad topic. But if you actually analyze and think and then replace the words energy security with production uptime or plant uptime or you know a piece of equipment uh, that may have a, an unplanned trip or a shutdown. And if you actually that into the words energy security on that same question then instantly you can start to relate to things that you know you've got more chance of, of being able to influence and that's where you know technology can then be applied to, to to various parts so that would be my first point on the on the question Brian yeah no, and I think you know just touching on to the technology and the data I think we've got lots of existing infrastructure um, where we're going to be looking to um, extend life you know there's a lot of assets that are coming to end of life and they're actually going to be looking to say, well, actually, how do we maximize the economic recovery of some of these assets? And that can be actually using a lot of the data that, you know, Gavin's just touching on there to actually say, well, how do we actually make sure that we've got the best asset 
for the future as as well. So I think with some of the, the technology that we're seeing in Verivats, you know, some of the smart AI, um, big data sets mm -hmm. uh, that we're actually starting to touch on now. Um, and that's actually helping to, to increase life of, of these assets much past their, their expected life um, of, of fields. So I think for me, that's some of the really important things that we need to think about um, in energy security, that we can actually use the data to increase some of the actual current infrastructure that we've got as well. And, and building on that point on data, the data has always existed. You know, I come from a background myself and, and uh, technically where the data was there, but there were so many sources of that data, so much data getting past it, for example, a maintenance engineer, and, and how do they actually, how are they able to make a decision with that data? And where technology, such as things like artificial intelligence and machine learning, where that's actually adding a lot of value, is basically just bringing clarity to that data. It's just analyzing data, running algorithms, you know, far better and far quicker than, than basically humans could do previously. So as opposed to trying to be a, an expert in Excel and spreadsheets to try and, you know, tweak out that, that answer, you know, technology and advancements in technology such as AI is just making that a far quicker and simpler process. And then as you roll that all the way up, as I was touching on earlier, it may just be talking about improving the reliability of a particular piece of equipment. But as you then manifest that self up and roll that up and then you know, eventually then you start to be able to import, uh, impact energy security. And have you got any good examples uh, where you've seen the ability to use that data that's been driving some efficiencies into the customer's operations? Yeah, no, I think, I think it's a really good point, Brian, because, you know, previously before it took a long time to analyze a lot of this data, you know, there was ended up being 100 page reports and documentation, etc. But now what we're able to do with this data is actually get into really nice clean dashboards you can actually use some of these sliders and information to make critical decisions really, really easily. Mm -hmm. And I think that's some of the smart things that you've got with that data sources now that you can make these decisions much quicker and then they can be much more cost effective for the business going forward as well. Mm -hmm. and, a, and a good example where, where I've seen it used is on backlog on assets, for example. You know, again, it can be tied back to energy security because if you have an asset that has a higher level of, of overdue work than, than the plat platform or the facility would be comfortable with, there's a good in indicator that that could then impact the, the future reliability of that plant. And what you're able to do with the technology such as AI is really bring clarity to that overdue backlog with a view of questioning whether the work needs to be done. And if work is done, is it work that's going to add true value to the, to the uptime of the plant? So all of these small pieces that previously were, were much more challenging because actually trying to break down the, the technical detail that was in the data was just much more difficult than it yeah. is today. And it's great to see, isn't it, that historically a number of these uh, tools and systems, they go back 10, 15, 20 years the way they were set up and we typically then find ourselves working to the process as opposed to using data to make those knowledgeable decisions on where you need to maintain and how you maximize your efficiency, your facility moving forward. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, we know that energy producing assets are still critical infrastructure um, in delivering fuel, heat, light, all the essentials that we need uh, in our daily lives. But as the, the price of all these essentials has gone up by, by nearly over 50% in energy costs, we need to look at ways of how do we drive down the costs at operational level and, and how that can be passed on to consumers. So do you think technology can help us drive efficiencies in asset operating costs and site capacity? Yeah, no, I, I definitely think so. I think some of the things that we're seeing at the moment, um, 
and the use of sensorization, you know, we've been using sensors for years, but sometimes there's even assets that's got sensors on them, but we're not even actually using to their full potential as, as well. But I think, you know, a lot of the automation and robotics that's coming in now, we can actually lower the actual OPEX cost of, of assets, current assets, repurposed assets, but also future um, assets that's coming on board as, as well. So I really think it's, you know, some of these decisions that we can make just now can actually increase that life, you know, back to the earlier point, it's actually using a lot of the digitization yeah. and the automation to, to really maximize that as, as well, because, you know, one thing that somebody, a lot of people try and touch on is, oh, is it reduction of jobs? It's actually, you know, to a point earlier, it's actually creating more capacity yeah. and then actually trying to bring on other um, operations so we can actually, you know, move people across different operations going forward as well. Yeah. So I think for me, it's, it's trying to look at the big picture for a lot of these um, items. Yeah. What I would say as well is it's more than just the technology. So I think, you know, APM, Asset Performance Management, is a great example where you have the technology but you also need the people and you need the processes. And, and what APM gives you is just one example of a methodology that brings the three together. So having the technology is great, but if you don't have processes and procedures around how you're best using that technology, and then you have people that are trained and competent to be able to use the technology and then apply it, you know, the technology is just a wasted investment. So one of the challenges that, that's faced is as technology continues to develop is that you're giving the, the the people, the engineers, the ability to actually be competent in using that technology and then also being able to write that into the procedures and the processes that govern the, the safety and security of the facility. And that is a difficult challenge. Yeah. And that's why something such as APM and the, you know, the framework, if you like, that's been put around about it, whether you go for a, an enterprise you know, type solution or even go for a lighter solution, the principle and the methodology can, can still be the same. Yeah. yeah, I'm just going to come in there, Brian, because I think it's really good on the asset performance management systems, the processes and tools. But what we've seen is, you know, on that implementation um, phase, and we've seen it with lots of different technology, it doesn't actually get implemented properly. Mm -hmm. And then people end up working for the system rather than the system working for the people. So back to your earlier point, yeah. Yeah. you know, that's really critical in getting the technology implemented. So it benefits the people that's actually using it on the, the yeah, workforce yeah. as well. And, you know, we talk about data. Uh, and, and one of the big challenges that we see, it's not always easy to access that data, but are we talking here about third generation facilities that have got all the modern technology or is this still applicable in first generation type facilities? Yeah, I, well, I think for me, um, you know, to Gavin's point earlier, a lot of this data is there, but I would class it as dark data. You can't access it. But now with a lot of the like common data architecture platforms, et cetera, it's becoming a lot more accessible. And we've been able to, you know, maximize um, production and operational efficiency of, you know, even first generation assets mm -hmm. because that data is there. It's then just been able to use it, structure it, and then make those decisions um, for, for the asset. But, you know, just back to the earlier point as well with the sensorization, a lot of assets have got all this data and even modern yeah. facilities and they're not maximizing 100% and they're actually spending more money um, by by not utilizing a lot of this technology. So I think it's definitely things that we can look at together yeah. as industry. Yeah, I think it's the point that we're going to, to touch on in the, in the final area is is the it's applicable in a greenfield and a brownfield environment, but it's so important to to be considering it as early as possible. And equally in a brownfield environment, it's about considering the investment case for the life of the asset. Because we all know in a brownfield facility, it can be hard to retrofit. 
you know, yeah. some of the more modern technologies. And you've really got to think, and also you've got a culture where you've got a, a facility that's used to being operated in a certain way, people that are used to following procedures in a certain way. So you have a huge management of change that you've got to consider. So what may feel correct from a technology point of view, to the earlier point, if you don't actually think, well, what's that going to do for my management of change to my facility? Is it going to complicate things? Is it going to add to additional human error unintended? So there's quite a lot to consider. It's yeah, not just yeah. as easy as saying, let's go and apply all that technology in a brownfield capacity. You've got to consider the impact to the people and then the impact to the processes around the facility as well. Yeah. And yeah. that probably brings us to our third question. I think it's a good one to unwrap slightly. So, so we talk about, in many circumstances, we're dealing with the back end. You know, we're, we're trying to use data, existing data, to influence decisions today. But the real art is to get in at the front end. It's been able to get access to that data to then look at how you maintain, how you're going to operate the facility. You know, how do you how how do you go about addressing that? Because clearly there's a cost involved, and it's either an upfront cost or it's a cost that you face at the back end. How do you go about? Influencing, influencing our customers so that they can see that that upfront small investment actually pays a higher dividend, a higher return to them through that life cycle. Yeah. So it's actually a challenge, if, if, if being honest with you. So I actually did some study recently on, I was looking at renewable energy sector in the UK and I was, I was considering, so to what extent is, is artificial intelligence used in the FID, the final investment decision of renewable energy facilities? Because what sort of, I feel like the thesis I, I was considering was, well, you know that some of these projects, the economics around them are tight, and you know that technology could, in the OPEX phase of a project, add value. And I was sort of interested in researching, okay, so in the CAPEX phase of a project around that financial investment decision, how much is AI being considered? And what I found was that it's there, but it's there more as an afterthought. It's in the subconscious rather than the conscious. And what you find is that the that the technology it's talked about and it's considered, but the operational efficiency and OPEX savings that it could bring during the OPEX phase are not being calculated in the CAPEX phase as much as they could. And and I think it's just, or my, my own view is, it's just down to the experience, it's just down to the proofs, it's just down to, it's still in the grand scheme of things, fairly early days and it's adoption. But there's no doubt that the earlier you can bring it in, the better, but the challenge you've got there is you've got projects that from a FID point of view are already tight in terms of being economically viable and being approved. Yeah. So if you bring too much OPEX consideration into that CAPEX phase, it's becoming more and more difficult for the economics. Yeah. So you really do need a customer that can take a step back or an operator that can take a step back and actually say, okay, my CAPEX phase may be five years of this project or three years of this project, but my OPEX is 30 years. Yeah. How do you get more consideration into that 30 years during the three to five? And that really is is, is a tough tough, uh, yeah. tough task, I suppose. Yeah, and I think it really comes down to kind of right to left-hand thinking, basically. I think that's the biggest thing. I, I have a lot of our clients say to me, say, Dan, you know, when's the right time to engage you? And I said, as early as possible. You know, a lot of time we get engaged and it's through execute. The decisions have already been made yeah. um, and we could have saved you know tens upon millions hundreds of millions in the operating uh, cycle like Gavin's saying you know that's the longest cycle of a, of an assets life cycle so for me it's trying to get in as early as possible to make sure you can make all those decisions on 
robotics or sensorization, you know, what are you going to use the data for? Because you can save a lot of time, effort, money in the long term there. Yeah. I, I think a great example that can maybe bring simplicity to, to people is, is a car. So if, if, you're, if you're buying a new car and you, you know, at the time of specking that new car, you, you uh, consider what am I going to need to operate this car and you design it into the car, you spec it into the car, generally it's far more efficient and far cheaper than it is to retrofit that once you've already got yeah. the car and you're trying to then break it down. So, and, and it's no it's no different on, on a you know a full refinery. It is the same principles can, can yeah. apply. And, and I think probably just one of the other things to add is, you know, some of the decisions are made four or five years beforehand and they don't consider a lot of that technology. Um, yeah. so, so that's some of the things that you need to be thinking about that right to left, I'm thinking again and saying, well, how do we take all that knowledge of 40 years of operating knowledge that we've got across all our asset bases and how do we take that in as early as possible? It's just so critical. So how do you go about, you take uh, uh, an older facility and a lot of the facilities we're supporting our customers with are older facilities, the data's there, but as you say, but it comes from multiple sources. You know, when you're in that situation of you've got multiple systems that aren't integrated. What, how can you take that data and integrate it to allow you to start making intelligent decisions on how you can operate the facility moving forward? Yeah, no, I think it's a really good question. So I think, you know, a lot of it is, is being able to take that down and get into common platforms. You know, so actually being able to look at everything together and it allows you to see the wood for the trees, basically. Um, and then being able to structure the data based on the decisions that you're going to be making because a lot of the time is, you know, we, we've got these data sources, but then they mean nothing for the end user. You then really need to structure that for if it's maintenance or it's inspection, or it's for production efficiency, or if it's for, you know, the, the resources on board and how you're going to be able to schedule them. Yeah. You really need to try and structure the data for the end user, basically. Um, and trying to get that data into that structure, it's just been impossible um, over the years, because like you said, they're all in disparate systems, yeah. which don't speak to each other. But I think now with technology and being able to get a lot of the kind of API connections, we can pull those into common data sources and allow us to see the wood for the trees. So I think there's been a huge benefit over the last you know, 24 months for, for wood. And that's where we can do a lot of our machine learning, our artificial yeah. intelligence to make those decisions you know, much, much quicker. I think one thing you can also do is use some of the the standards that have been uh, you know created or developed you know for example iso 55k you know standard for asset management that that's really been brought about to answer exactly that question you know start at the very highest level of the philosophy around the facility try and look at exactly what you want that facility to do and then break it down step by step through you know ultimately a set of kpis developing priorities because if you try and do everything initially and you haven't set that initial vision if you like or key key uh, thoughts around the purpose of the facility then all you do is tie yourself in knots mm. so you really do need to set at a structured level and then and stakeholder management is so important so getting your key stakeholders all aligned at the beginning at the early phase on you know exactly what do we want this facility to do and then you know something like you know asset management and even following iso 55k it really does give you a good framework to hang all the decisions off of. So to a certain extent, someone's done a difficult work there, they've came up with a framework. I think just more industry needs to follow it. Yeah. 
Yeah, and, I, and I think data standards are just, you know, we're seeing a lot more standardization across um, across industry. You know, we're lucky within Wood, you know, we work in lots of different sectors and lots of different industries. And we're seeing a lot of these different industries adopting the same standards. Mm -hmm. So it makes it much easier to actually go across these different industries mm -hmm. as well. So, you know, even things like sound maintenance, you know, ISO 14224, we're seeing a lot more standardization on how we get that right. data. Where we see a lot of the challenges when there's too much data sources is when people go off and they create, you know, these custom workflows and yeah. you know custom data sources. It then makes it very difficult um, to to go back and try and align that data in the long term as well. And how do you, you know, clearly the, the, the key thrust to all this is about access to data, and that's always a challenge. You know, people like to protect their data. There's always that risk of when I share my information, how do we make sure it's secure? You know, how do you go about addressing that? That you're accessing all our customers' data. How do we make sure that that's in that protective environment and, and customers don't get nervous about being able to share that kind of thing? Well, well, sometimes they don't actually have to share it, Brian. Sometimes it can actually still sit in the customer's domain. They don't actually need to take it out of their domain. You know, the beauty of some of the modern technologies is actually, you know, uh, companies like Wood or, or, or others can actually work within the customer's environment to get access to the data, you know, manipulate the data, change the data, alter the data, and work with the data in the customer system. So from a security point of view, you aren't actually worried about, you know, taking the data into, for example, an external SharePoint and then moving it back or into an external platform where there would be the considerations of data getting yeah. corrupt, lost, damaged. So it actually, generally that I I haven't seen in my experience a major problem. Yeah, and I think, you know, ask me that question five years ago, We'd have been running around with tokens and struggling to get into systems sure. through different things. But I think now being able to apply our processes over the top of some of our clients' technology, that's been able to accelerate that. You know, we can just unlock so much more uh, sure. through that kind of process now. So much more is in the cloud nowadays as well. Yeah. That it, yeah. It's just, again, advancements and things like that are just making that problem, which was much more of an issue even five years ago, is now no longer quite the same issue. Yeah, yeah. definitely. No, thank you uh, both for your uh, really insightful discussion. You know, it's great to, to, to get into the, the detail on these things. I suppose, you know, what would be your, your key takeaway around intelligent asset optimization for the future of energy, energy security? Key takeaway would be it's still early days. And as my summary, having done just recently some specific research on the subject, it's for people to have an open mind and, and embrace the change, be inquisitive, consider it, be willing to try new things and, and equally not be frightened to fail and then and then start again. You know, we are at a, a sort of time, I believe, in a generation where the technology and the, the use cases of that technology is accelerating so quickly that what is, you know, something that's cutting edge today in six months time is already out of date. Yeah. Yeah. So it really just needs both, you know, all parties involved to be you know, open and willing to to try new things would be my main main takeaway, Brian. Yeah, I, I think that's probably the, the biggest thing. It's you know we need you know our teams plus our client teams to be curious, basically, and um, to really say what's possible. Um, and I think it's working in that kind of common agile framework to really say, right, well, actually, we've got a sprint, we've got something to achieve here. You know, it's working on proof of concepts together um, because sometimes there's still a bit of, yeah, we've tried that, we, we don't want to do this. I think it's actually industry coming together to solve some of those challenges. You know, that's the biggest thing that we, we need to do. And I think it is actually opening up and being more honest with each other yeah. uh, to really try and drive those benefits because ultimately we as consumers, you know, that's where all the prices are going up, we're all paying for it. We all need to make it more efficient to go forward, yeah.
And I think the one thing here is that it, I don't think any single party has got all the answers. It's no. all about, you know, we hear about collaboration being used, but for me, it's all about co-creation. It's about keeping that open mind, but by working together, we can add far more value. And it is that openness, it's about sharing the information. So it definitely sounds like there's lots of grassroots there that we're starting to see this happening. So yeah. listen, that brings us to an end uh, of our uh, our first uh, podcast, uh, Adipec Insights. Uh, so I want to thank you both for your time. Thank, thank you very much. Thank, thank you. Cheers. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Cheers.